Good morning. My name is Wade, and we're going to look at God's Word today. Our text today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and this is in your bulletin. It's behind me. If you're online, um, welcome. It's going to be on your screen as well. Let's listen to this. Paul writing to the Corinthians. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of God. When I was in uh, sixth grade, um, after the first, first week of classes, I was, sent, um, I was given a note to bring home to my parents by the administration. And it was a letter that was informing my parents that their son was going to be transferred to another class. That would be me. And uh, the letter told my parents that I was being transferred to the gate class. Um, they were shocked. And I was shocked. And when I went to school the next day and I told my friends, they were shocked. Because GATE stands for Gifted and Talented Education. That's why everyone was shocked. Because I was not gifted, nor was I talented. Um, So to this day, I I don't know how I got in there. Um, And I spent the remainder of my elementary school education in that GATE class uh, with all the smart kids. And what I heard was that there was one extra spot that was open in the class, and the teacher of my original sixth grade class convinced the teacher of the gay class that um, to let me in. And I don't know why. The only plausible explanation I have was um, my last name begins with the letter C, and I was the first on the on the uh, school, on the class roster. And just because I was first in the alphabets, they said, "Okay, we'll send this guy to the gay class." And um, the, the year that I spent in that class. What it did, it didn't, it didn't make me feel uh, smart. What it did was it highlighted to me how average I was, how out of place I was among the smart kids. And that stuck with me my whole life. Um, I've never considered myself particularly intelligent or skilled at anything. Um, to quote Forrest Gump, I am not a smart man. Um, and I, I bring this up because... And I never got over the, I never get over the fact, even now, I never get over the fact that I stand in front of people on a regular basis and people listen to me. And I know it's not because I have anything special to say from my own life. I know it's not because I'm funny or a good storyteller, um, because I'm neither one of those. It's, I know it's definitely not because I'm smarter or more talented than the people that listen to me. So why in the world am I here? The answer is that I've been called to preach the gospel, at least in this season. I have a text that I believe are the very words of God to the world. I'm part of a church, thank God, that values the word of God. I have the Holy Spirit guiding me, and that's the only reason that I'm here in front of you guys. If I didn't have something to say from this book, then none of you would want to sit through my ramblings. You wouldn't. And I think that that's what Paul is telling us today in 
this text, these five verses that we read, he's telling the Corinthian church that he has a message to tell them, but he dare not make his preaching and teaching an occasion for the church to see how great he is. He dare not make his preaching and teaching an occasion to showcase his, his own strengths. In the previous weeks, we looked at what the Apostle Paul has said about the gospel as we look through 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's referred to as the message of the cross. This message is foolishness to those who are perishing, he says, but this message is the power of God, the very power of God to those who are being saved. And Paul, he's, as he goes through uh, chapter 1, he's making a case to the Corinthian church. He's saying, the church, you've been called by God to be members together, saints called together together. You've been called to live life and do ministry together. You've been called to live as a church together, even though there is division among you. And then Paul reminds them to look at each other through the lens of the message of the cross. This is how you're going to get over your division. This is how you will be united. From the world's perspective, it should make no sense that here is a group of people who are profoundly different from each other. People who would not associate with each other in a normal, respectable society. It should not make sense that the church exists. But in the church, Paul says, your identity is not based on your political preference or your background or the culture that you come from. Not your socioeconomic level, not your skill sets or your interests. Your identity is based on your standing before God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. And then last week, we, we looked at the last few verses of chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. And Paul, he doesn't try to build up their self-esteem. He doesn't try to highlight their accomplishments or their stature in society as individuals. In fact, he does the opposite. He says, look at all these things that you people are not. But then he reminds them that you are in Christ. This is the truest thing about you, Corinthian church. You're in Christ And the main point that I tried to make last week was that the church is evidence that the gospel is true. It's obvious that this isn't the design of intelligent, skilled, savvy organizational experts. The church exists not because of those things. The church exists because the gospel is true. And this church, this Corinthian church, this was an odd place that was out of step with the rest of the world. Um, it, It had an offensive message that was odious to the world around them. It has strange values and priorities. And this is exactly how God wanted it to be. He wanted the Corinthian church to stand in contrast to all the values and the strengths and the priorities of the surrounding Corinthian culture. And here's what Paul is saying in these passages, that the message that I bring to you is foolishness to a world that values strength and skill and savvy and smarts. But because this message is true, the church exists. The church exists because the word of the cross is real, and it's true. The gospel is the very power of God. And therefore, Paul says, my ministry to you is to reflect this truth, that the message of the cross is the power of God. And my ministry, the way that I communicate to you, the way that I minister among you, needs to reflect that truth Paul says that the way that I do ministry is a reflection that the gospel is powerful. And implicit in that message is this, that the messenger is not powerful. So what I want to do with our time 
today is to point out four things in this text. Um, Paul's message, Paul's weakness, the shape of Paul's ministry, and the aim of Paul's ministry. His message, his weakness, his ministry, and the aim of his ministry. So um, our first point, what is Paul's message? What is his testimony? Paul says in chapter 2, he says, I came, I did not come proclaiming to you, I came, sorry, let me start. Uh, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he's saying, I've come to you with something. I'm coming to you with the testimony of God. And he expands on it. In verse 2 he says, this is what the testimony is. Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the content that Paul received from God to communicate to the Corinthian church. Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you. This was central to Paul's life. This was primary to his ministry. If there was anything that Paul was ever going to be obsessed about, it was this message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. One commentator uh, I read, I, I like the phrase that he used. He says, Paul's life was decisively settled on Christ. Christ was the foundation of his life. And everything that Paul said and did reflected that. Do you know what it's like to be obsessed with one thing? Do you know what it's like to have your life settled on one thing? Uh, let me share with you a story about a man who had his life settled on one thing. And actually, this is um, something that popped up on my news feed um, from the New York Times. The New York Times on Friday published a piece about a record collector who died on Monday, just less than a week ago. His name was Joe Bussard. Um, and the New York Times, he wrote, they wrote a pro- profile about him, published just a few days ago. And here's an excerpt about this guy, Joe, Joe Bussard. Joe Bussard, who made it his life's obsession to collect rare 78 RPM records, some 15,000 of them, encompassing jazz, blues, country, jug band, and gospel, and who spread his love for the music on radio and among visitors who joined him to listen to the fragile disc in his basement, died on Monday at his home in Frederick, Maryland. One floor above his hoard, he was 86 years old. Continues on. This is um, one of his friends speaking of Joe. He basically lived the songs, breathed the songs, and passed them on to as many people as he could. His friend said, It was his life from morning to night. I consider him a national treasure. And he continues on. Any fan of his treasures could come to his house and listen to his 78s. Another friend said this about him. Anybody who got a hold of him, he'd say, come on over. And they would listen to records together. Mr. Bussard built his life around his records. After working in a supermarket and in his family's farm supply business, he held no regular job after the late 1950s. He was supported by his wife, Esther, and his parents. And then... The New York Times interviewed his daughter, and this is what his daughter had to say. It's like my mom and I were in one world and he was in another, Susanna Anderson told the New York Times. It was hard. He was like an absent father, even though he was in the house. So here is Joe Bussard, whose life was centered on one thing, specifically 78 RPM records from the first half of the century. And you may say that his life was not well spent because he obsessed over old records to the point where he couldn't hold down a job, to the point where he neglected his family for the sake of his his obsession. 
But at least, at least he knew what it was like to be utterly captured by something. And Paul says, what I've been captured by is this message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the most important thing in the world. And he knew that the message of Jesus was the most important thing that could ever be spoken, the most important thing that could ever be shared. And he's telling the Corinthian church here in this text, it's so important that your life should revolve around it. It's so important that your church must be centered on it. Paul says, this is the most important thing. And therefore, my ministry needs to reflect that. Here is a man who's obsessed. Here's a man who has his entire life centered on this one thing. And when I come to you, you should not see Paul. You should see Jesus and him crucified. So that is Paul's message that he was given. And then also Paul speaks of his weakness. He says, I came to you in fear and trembling. Paul says this not to draw attention to his deficiencies, but to provide a contrast between him and the sophists or the orators of his day. Uh, specifically, he had in mind the sophists. The sophists were a group of people, a group of men specifically, who would go from town to town, and they were skilled speakers. They were intelligent and smart. Um, as I was doing research on them, um, it's kind of weird, but what they would do is they would oil up their bodies. Um, they'd speak shirtless. They would work out a lot to show off their physiques because they wanted to be not just appealing in what they spoke, but appealing in how they looked. They wanted to draw a crowd because back in the first century, they did not have such a thing as Netflix or Hulu. Um, They didn't have entertainment like we do. So their entertainment was listening to well-read, intelligent people who could communicate well. And these were the sophists. And what they would do is they would gather large crowds um, in this center of the city, in the center of town, and they would speak on a subject, and people would go ooh and ah. They're really good ones. They would invite people to 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 just at a, at random give me a subject to speak on, and people would say speak about this animal or speak about this rare flower. And because they were so intelligent, they could speak at length about certain subjects. And people, when they heard these sophists, they said, wow. I wish I could be like them. I wish that I could communicate like them. I wish that I could hold someone's attention like they do. Look at the power and influence they have. And Paul says, am I like that? Do I draw attention to myself like these sophists do? He says, no. Paul's made it clear in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians that the church needs to have different values from the rest of the world. He speaks of the foolishness of the word of the cross. He speaks of the weakness of God being stronger than men. Uh, Last week I spoke from verses, the last few verses of chapter 1. Let me read it to you again. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And Paul, he continues his thinking in today's passage. He tells the Corinthians, not only were you not wise or powerful or of noble birth, but neither am I. I don't even fit into those categories, and I'm a leader in the church. Paul says, 
And he lists the ways in which he wouldn't fit into the Corinthian culture. He didn't come with rhetorical tools. He wasn't armed with clever knowledge about the world or philosophy. He says he was fearful. One commentator I read says this, Part of Paul's calling was to be weak. Primary to Paul's identity was his weakness and his trembling. God chose a person like him in order that Christ crucified will be the one who's seen and heard rather than the messenger. Paul says, if I speak, you better not focus on me. You better not be in awe of how I speak. Your focus should be on Christ. This applies to me because I it's my job to speak in front of people on a weekly basis. That may not be you, but the implications are for the entire church. What does it mean for us? What do these verses mean for Indelible Grace Church? It means that our own weaknesses and fears are not reasons for us to hesitate when we do the work of the gospel. And if you're a member of this church, it's a responsibility to carry out ministry. It's a responsibility to carry out gospel work. And it's a responsibility to remember this, that even though you are fearful and trembling, you still have a message to give. You still have a message to live. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, but he said to me, God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is how God works. Paul, God uses people who don't have it all together to achieve his purposes. God uses the weak and weak people to show his strength to the world. When we hear this in chapter 2, we should be thinking of what Paul says in chapter 1. How does God show his strength to the world? He shows his strength to the world by the weakness of the cross. Because it looked like Jesus had been defeated on the cross. He was dead. His heart stopped. And dead people can do nothing. His followers, they despaired for two days because they thought that this was the end of the movement that they gave their life to. And then what? Three days later, Jesus overcame death. The principle is that what seemed like weakness, what seemed like defeat, was just a platform to show people how powerful he really is. And if we know Jesus, if we're attentive to his spirit, we can be going through the most awful things. We can be going through the most difficult seasons of our lives and still speak truth. In fact, it's in these difficult seasons, it's in our weaknesses, that God loves to speak through you, especially during those times. That is your platform. It was Paul's platform. For those of us who can come up with reasons to not speak up, I hope that this is an encouragement for us Despite what you're going through, you can speak up. Despite your shyness, there's a way you can communicate the gospel.
there's a person maybe that God wants to speak to through you. Some of us don't think that we're articulate. Some of us don't feel knowledgeable enough. But we all have something to say because what does Paul say? If you know Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's all you need. So study that. Center your life on that. Be a part of a church that values that. Then you'll have something to say. Who is better to speak of the faithfulness and mercy of God than the one who's been in a situation where God had to come through, where you had to see God be faithful, otherwise you were done with? If that's, that's your story, that's the reason God gave you that message. That's the reason why God put you in that situation, so that you would take from that season in your life a message to tell the world. Who better to speak of the comfort of the Holy Spirit than the one who turns to God in desperation when they're drowning in loneliness and sorrow? Who better to speak of the sufficiency of Jesus than the one who's honest about his fight against sin and temptation? Who's better? Who's more qualified? You are. Aren't these people the people that you want to listen to? Don't you want to hear from people that can speak from their experience and say, yeah, God really is true. God really is good. The gospel really does have power. I bet you that hearing it from someone that doesn't make their living speaking in front of someone, that's way more powerful. I'm very aware of the fact that most of you will forget what I say in a couple days. I forget what I say in a couple days. But if the Spirit of God is working in you, what you did say to someone else, that's going to stick. The power of God frees us to be weak. It frees us to be honest about our weaknesses. And if you want to hear firsthand about the greatness of God, IGC, then talk to the people in the church, not just those who are paid to do it. What kind of culture are we creating at IGC, especially now in this season of the life of the church? Who do we assume has something worth listening to? Our weaknesses and our deficiencies are the canvas that God displays his power on. So this is Paul's weakness. He says, I came to you in fear and trembling. And thank God, thank God he comes to them in fear and trembling. So that's his weakness. And then Paul goes on, this is my ministry, verses 3 and 4. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. When Paul is saying this, he's not saying that he was uncomfortable with public speaking. Um, Paul isn't saying that he was not a skilled communicator. If we look at the ministry of Paul um, throughout the epistles and in the book of Acts, um, we can see that Paul, indeed, he can speak well. He communicates clearly. And Paul, in, when he's writing to the Corinthians in this chapter, he's referring to how he approached to them in what we read in Acts chapter 18. This is when he first encountered the Corinthian church. And Paul was literally fearful. He was literally physically weak. There was persecution. There was heavy opposition against him and the things he taught. 
There was physical violence threatened against him. He witnessed a co-worker being beaten for preaching. Um, and you can imagine, if he sees all this, if he knows there's such opposition, if he knows that there is physical weakness in him, you can imagine the strain that that would have caused Paul. And he comes to the Corinthian church in the context of this. And yet, he continued to do what God had called him to do. Because the message was so important that he was willing to go through this trouble. He was willing to go through this suffering to, de- to deliver it to the Corinthian church. He believed in the message so much that he would risk his life and limb to make it known. And Paul believed in the message so much that he wanted to make sure that his audience understood it. He believed in the message so much that he wanted them, when they heard the message, to know that this was the power of God that it was not the skill of the messenger. So he preached the word of the cross to the church. He didn't employ rhetorical devices that the Corinthians were familiar with because he wanted the message to be clear. That without a doubt, here is this simple message given by a simple messenger. That's the very power of God. And today's passage is Paul's blueprint for his preaching ministry. This is what ministry will look like for Paul. It will will reflect the content of the gospel and not the personality of the messenger. Let me say it again. Faithful ministry looks like this. It reflects the content of the gospel, not the personality of the messenger. And we all have our unique gifts and talents and personalities. And it's going to come through... That's why God gifted you with these unique things. And it's totally fine if your personality shines through whatever you communicate. But that can't be a distraction to the message. Um, I had a conversation with someone uh, a while ago who was talking about leaving his church. And um, I was asking him, like, why would you leave your church? Um, You've been a part of the church for a while. And um, he had a list of reasons. And uh, one of the reasons, I I just, uh, I I kind of... uh, Maybe it's sad, um, but he, he said, uh, you know, I, ca- I came to this church because I really like the preaching. Um, I'm not referring to IGC. Um, I came to the church that he was a part of because I really liked the pastor. I really liked um, the preaching. But as time went on, it seemed like the pulpit became a place where the intelligence of the pastor was highlighted instead of the word of God being preached. The pulpits, the front of the room was a showcase for the savvy and the skill of the pastor rather than a place where the power of the gospel was was clearly communicated. And I don't know if his critique was true or not, um, but may that never be true of this church. Um, here is a little secret for those who might pay attention to people like me who preach. Um, I sometimes listen to preaching not to be fed. I sometimes listen to preaching to be entertained um, because there are a lot of good preachers on YouTube and on uh, the podcasts. And I bet you that there are some of us here that listen to preaching not to be challenged by God, um, it should be uncomfortable when you listen to preaching. It shouldn't be entertaining. 
Um, and yet sometimes we listen to people who speak well. And we mistake that for wanting to hear the word of God. Because we don't really want to hear the word of God. We want to listen to a preacher. Because do you know what listening to the word of God does? It should destroy you. It should make you uncomfortable. Why would you do that to yourself? When you listen to the word of God, ask yourself, do you want to be entertained or do you want to hear from God? Um, if you've ever studied the Puritans, these were the, uh, the, the believers in, um, in the West in the uh, 16, 15, 16, 1700s. And they had a way of communicating that would be very off-putting to us modern hearers. What they would do is they would have a manuscript and they would read it monotone. And sometimes their sermons lasted for two or three hours. Would you come to IGC if that were the case? If I told you that you'd be here until 2 p.m., I bet you that you wouldn't. I wouldn't. But there was such power in the preaching of the Puritans because what they did was they highlighted the gospel. They made clear what God was saying. And there was revival that came from boring preachers preaching a simple message Those were the Puritans, and maybe we can follow their example. Paul's ministry is to focus on Jesus. There's simplicity, there is clarity, there is a minimization of any type of distraction from the preacher. Um, have you guys heard of the Instagram account Preachers and Sneakers? Um, it's, it's pretty well known, just not, not outside, beyond the little Christian circles. Um, I saw that John Mayer follows Preachers and Sneakers on Instagram. Um, so um, the basis of Preachers and Sneakers are there are these preachers, these pastors, who wear really expensive items of clothing. And um, they're like $1,200 shoes and $3,000 jackets and $400 jeans. And um, I'm not necessarily against those. The problem that I have with that type of pastor or preacher is are you really going to let your flock be distracted by your freaking outfit? Because people are. Expect simplicity from the people that preach the gospel. Paul looks at the message he's given and he understands that it sounds strange, foolish to the world. And he says... There are things maybe that are even offensive. And there is a tendency in every pastor or preacher, every human being, to minimize the offensive aspects. Would you like to hear me talk about hell and your sin and repentance? Because those are not fun things to talk about. But Paul says, and yet it is part of my message, I must speak it. I must speak it with urgency. And Paul knows that he has to do that. D.A. Carson, one of the commentators, he says of this passage, God has taken action and the good news is announced. It is proclaimed. God is negotiating. He is both announcing and confronting. Announcing good news, but also confronting with bad news. And it is our responsibility, IGC, to say what God wants us to say. 
we do it with simplicity and clarity. I don't want to communicate that we shouldn't study hard and be well-read and take illustrations and stories from popular culture. I do that. It's completely fine, um, I think. Um, I can use rhetorical devices. I listen to preachers who do that, and I'm glad they do that because it helps drive home a point as long as it doesn't distract me from the message. But what Paul wants for the Corinthian church is for them to hear something that is good and true, and he wants to highlight that and not himself. We need to tell the world and each other exactly what God has communicated through his word. And if this is our approach toward ministry, then we have the freedom to be faithful in our ministries. Remember this, indelible Grace Church. There is no one to impress. There is no quota to be met. There is no commission to be made by what we do. And this is especially important in this season of our life as a church. We have an interim pastor coming in a few weeks. I'm super excited about that. Later on, in just a few moments, we're going to vote on the potential members of the pastoral search committee, and they're going to be looking for a lead pastor for us. Um, Many of you filled out the congregational survey that was sent out. If you haven't, uh, today's the last day. um, Put that as a a plug. But in that survey, we asked you, what are you looking for in a lead pastor? What are your preferences? Let me tell you my preference for a lead pastor. I want someone who is visionary and charismatic and affable and articulate and relational, who is intelligent. I really want that for our church. But far more important than those things is that he is faithful, that his life will reflect the gospel and he will speak the gospel with faithfulness and clarity. And whenever this guy comes, when you hear him, you should see Jesus more than you see him. When people think of indelible Grace Church, they shouldn't be thinking my name or the name of Tom Savage or the name of the elders or the name of the pastor who's going to be in this church and hopefully uh, sometime next year or whenever God's going to bring him to us. Um, It's gross when people associate a pastor with a church um, too deeply. It's gross, really. Um, Don't be a part of that type of church. That's what Paul is saying. The message is so much more important than the messenger. And why does Paul make that a priority? Paul's aim, this is my final point, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We all want to rely on someone, a human being. We all want someone who we can identify with and say, yeah, that's the type of person I, I want to follow. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, look at where that's led you. Division. The Paul is, the church is torn apart when you identify with one person too much. I do my ministry the way I do so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
And if you've followed the evangelical landscape over the past few years, um, it hasn't looked good. Uh, one of the most popular podcasts on iTunes in the past year about a pastor who couldn't hold his stuff together and destroyed thousands of lives, people who rested on his teaching and his power, prominent leaders who have publicly renounced their faith, pastors who have fallen into scandalous sin, or maybe it's not that explosive, but it's still jarring for us. We find out that our leaders are not the type of leaders that we wish they were. Their flaws were too much for us. They say things that upset us. And when these things happen, it's easy to get discouraged. And Paul knows that. He says, if you identify too much with one person, if you put your faith in a messenger rather than a message, you're going to be disappointed. We need our faith to rest elsewhere. John Murray He says this about what real faith is. Faith itself is the whole-souled movement of the person in entrustment to Christ. Real faith, the type of faith that we want here at Indelible Grace Church, is 100% of your person, 100% of your soul resting completely on Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what you should want for yourself. That's what you should want for your children. Rest in the power of God. Rest in the gospel. You can look to other believers for help and support and examples. And you should. I hope you trust your leaders. I hope you trust each other. But if they fall, if we make mistakes, don't be surprised. Don't put your faith in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And trust the entirety of your person, your heart and soul and mind and strength on Christ. On Christ. Because this is the power of God. This is the power of Paul's message, he says. The gospel. Only that is powerful enough to stand up to the demands of your sin and your doubts and your temptation and your anger and your lust and your disappointments. Only that is powerful enough. Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the only place where we can find rest. The gospel is the invitation from God to the weak and fearful and trembling. I love the song that David led us in. Oh, come all you unfaithful. Guess who's unfaithful? You're unfaithful, and I'm unfaithful. That's the invitation. Come all you unfaithful to the gospel, to the faithful Christ. So may it be true of us, when God looks at IGC, he doesn't see competent, inspiring, articulate, smart people. He sees... Sinners who are now covered in the righteousness of Jesus. We can rest in that. Rest in the fact that God loves you. Rest in the fact that God gave his son to you. Rest in the fact that you are amongst a community of people who will disappoint you. And yet the gospel is still being preached and taught and lived. Rest in that, Paul says. 
And if you do, your identity is settled. Your faith is settled. That means IGC doesn't need to be cool or innovative. Everything that Christ is for us is enough. We can rest in that. May it be true of Indelible Grace Church. Will you pray with me? Father, we um, need to repent of the ways that we've relied on ourselves. We need to repent of the ways that we've relied on leaders. Only Christ is enough, and I pray that you would impress this truth on our souls, that Christ is enough, and if he is enough, we don't need to try to be powerful or strong. In fact, we can be weak and fearful and trembling, and we trust that you can do ministry through people like us. Uh, Make it true of our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.